Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome back to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm your host. And today I have Austin Carroll with me. Austin is a soon-to-be second-year MBA student at Duke University's Fuqua MBA program. And I, when I think about my book, MBA Insider, how to make the most of your MBA experience, I really think that from the how to make your most of your MBA experience kind of mantra, Austin really embodies that. And what I'm going to have her talk about today is to obviously share her background and her story, um, but also to, to maybe share some of the, the things that she's been doing um, to really get the most out of her MBA experience and, and what um, she's learned along the way, uh, because I think it's really, really interesting and exciting and amazing. So um, Austin, thank you so much um, for being here. And I think it's also great because um, I know you have your own podcast, so I get to flip the script on you and you get to be on the other side. Um, so thank you for being here. And I guess maybe just to start, what, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, what did you do before business school and, and why did you choose to, go, choose to go in the first place? Yeah, definitely. It's great to be here. I've been a big fan of your work and your book. Thank you. Um, yeah. So before business school, I took the very traditional business school path and that I worked in nonprofit performing arts marketing doing social media. So pretty typical pre MBA path. Um, I always tell people when they're applying to business school, I thought I was an untraditional applicant. And then my first day of at Fuqua, I was sitting next to someone that worked at the Kennedy center. So I guess I'm not such a special snowflake as I thought. Um, so I always give that advice to people considering business school. So I decided to go back to get and get my MBA because I kept hitting that ceiling in digital marketing, which is slowly going away, but not in a way that's, uh, anyway, quickly happening. So I kept hitting the ceiling where I'd be the most senior digital marketer in the organization. And, um, there's nowhere to go from there. So I really wanted to broaden my skill set. So I decided to go to Fuqua so I can gain um, a more strategic mindset. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that I, I definitely hear that from a lot of other people. And you're certainly right. Um, it's not going away as fast as we would want, but it's, it's getting there. But I certainly kind of understand that. And, you know, on that notion of what you thought you wanted to achieve, you know, what uh, did that kind of career exploration process look for you like in your first year in terms of, you know, what did you explore? And then eventually, what did you decide to recruit for when it came time to recruit for summer internships? Sure. So um, I actually recruited very early. So I started recruiting over a year ago, which sounds crazy for a summer internship at the Forte Conference, which was in Chicago last year. So there I actually had my first conversations with American Airlines, and I actually was flown out to recruit for them before I even started my MBA. I did not get that role. However, I loved it so much. I loved airlines. I thought it was so cool. I got to go in like an old plane, um, and I was just like, this is the coolest industry ever. 
So I decided to recruit airlines and also uh, tech because I've always been interested in tech. I feel like every digital marketer is interested in tech because we use all of these platforms all the time. So I got into my first year and I recruited at Ramba, uh, which is an LGBTQ conference in Atlanta last year. Because it was in Atlanta, I had a lot of interactions with Delta Airlines. And so I did, I think, like 12 interviews in a day, which I would never recommend. Uh, It just ended up because I had to leave the next day. So I put all of my networking and interviews in one day, um, which was great because at the end I did get some offers. And uh, then I decided to um, accept my offer very early with Delta Airlines uh, for their commercial strategy role. Uh, so I actually, actually was done recruiting in November of last year, or so I thought. <laughs> sure. And we're going to get to that in a second. But before we do that, 12 interviews in a day. Well, tell yes. me what that day was like, please. Uh, it was I, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it was exactly as it sounds. Um, I had driven to Atlanta the day before from Durham, North Carolina, which seemed like a lot shorter on the Google Maps. Uh, was actually pretty long. Uh, about six, six and a half hours. The entire time I actually just listened to podcasts, which big tip, that's the best way to prepare for an interview is just type in like Salesforce or type in Delta to Spotify and then just listen to every episode, podcast episode about it. Um, Yeah, so I basically started at 8 a.m. that morning and then I went through 7.30 p.m. that day. Wow. I just had like a bunch of notes, like tons of notes. Do you um, even, do, do like, are there just interviews that you just have forgotten? Like, I, I just like, I don't even know how you like remember like all of them. Right. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've blocked most of that day out. I fair think. enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. Cause I like attended the conference, but yeah. I actually didn't really attend the conference because I was just sure. in interviews all day. Sure. Um, so I missed every single session at Ramba, but I'll go to the virtual one this year, but yeah. that was unfortunate. Absolutely. And, you know, listen, business school is a learning experience and uh, you certainly learned from that. But as you said, um, you thought you were done with recruiting, but in fact, um, you weren't. And um, I think we all know where this is going, given the state of the world. But, you know, kind of walk us through, you know, what happened next. Yeah, um, it all happened so very quickly. So Fuqua, uh, Duke Fuqua we had a very ill-timed spring break and that our spring break was the 1st of March. So being that the world where we were going on spring break, we went to spring break to Morocco with like 50 other students, a very typical like MBA track because there was almost no cases in Morocco. We thought it'd be okay. We went into the desert for two weeks and we emerged and the world was completely and totally different Um, we got back the day that Donald Trump banned flights to Europe. Uh, so, and we flew from Europe. So yeah, it was definitely pretty surreal while I was in the cab in the Paris air or I was in the cab going to the Paris airport. I got an email from Delta saying that they were going to honor my internship. And that's when I was like, wait, how bad is it in America? (laughs) Cause I had no idea yet. So I got home. Um, and then two weeks later, they rescinded my internship due to business reasons. Sure. I yeah. presume it's it's not an easy thing to kind of swallow or process. Um, it's certainly not what you would have wanted. Um, yeah. So, and in the, in the same time, also, it's probably a lot to come back to just coming, you know, off this 
you know, amazing, I presume amazing trip and yes, whirlwind like experience of just trying to get home. So could you maybe walk us through, you know, how did you kind of process that? You know, what was going on in your mind or, or what were you thinking about as, as you were getting all these, all this news? Yeah. I mean, it was definitely hard because I feel like for better or for worse, when you're in your MBA program, you're, you define yourself by your internship, especially your first year. Um, and that's for better or for worse, like maybe that's not the best way to go about anything. Um, but you do define yourself by the internships that you get and the roles, um, that you interview for, um, to kind of like gauge your success in your MBA program, which is kind of crazy because we all graduate the same degree, uh, that's valued the same. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really difficult. I think just because I'm always such a planner and suddenly, I think the hardest thing was I was looking at six months because they had pushed back our start date by the time that happened. So I was looking at six months for the first time in my entire life where I literally had nothing to do, like nothing. And for someone that's very type A and a planner and an MBA student, that just seems like a crazy amount of time. Yeah. And I, one of the things that I often think about, particularly with respect to business school is that sometimes, and I'm not sure if this is how you felt or not. So I don't want to put words in your mouth, but sometimes when things happen, they, they either appear significantly better or significantly worse than like they actually like are. And, you know, one of the conversations I was having with someone recently was how um, they were uh, uh, they were, they were in a class and, um, they didn't speak that day. And so they immediately thought, oh man, like I had the worst day ever. Like I didn't speak in class. Like that's going to affect my participation grade. And then on the flip side of that, um, they had another day where they did say something and they thought it was like so great. And they were like kind of reflecting on it and kind of saying like, I think both of those were perfectly fine. Like, I, I don't necessarily think it's like better or worse, but some, you know, I think in the moment when that happens, it's like, oh shoot, obviously, because again, you're a planner and also because it, it was unexpected, but it sounds like you were able to kind of at some point pick yourself back up and, and kind of move forward from that um, and, and actually turn it into quite some, some, some amazing opportunities. And so I guess, could you maybe share a little bit about how, how you did kind of move forward from that and, and what you were able to do next? Yeah, I think, I think if, if something like this happens that's COVID related, that's a layoff or even losing your internship, I think like you definitely need to take, it sounds a little bit insane, but like a grief period, like you kind of have to grieve for not the job per se, but for this, like this experience and this like kind of path that you thought you were going on. So you kind of have to grieve for that. So I think I did that for like a week or so. Uh, but then I was like, I really need to find an internship. <laughs> um, so I basically kind of used LinkedIn a lot, actually. So I actually got my internship that I ended up pursuing and doing the summer through LinkedIn, uh, through a fellow Fuqua alum who was looking um, for help because at a, a, what is it, a biotech pharmaceutical company. So they were looking for help. And that's actually how I found my internship. Um, so I think it's all about leveraging your network, especially if something like this happens to you. Um, that's what I found really helpful. And I think like the encouragement and sharing my story, like, I think it was like a week and a half later and I thought I could actually help people that 
were in the situation as well at Fuqua, for instance. So I had lost my internship at the in at the beginning of April, and there was more layoffs after that, not layoffs, but more internships were rescinded after that. So it was actually very early in the internship rescindance phase. Um, so I actually decided to send an email because I'm a, the co-president of the general management club at Fuqua. So I actually sent an email to our entire um, school, basically saying that I had lost my internship, just so people knew that it wasn't just happening to them. Because I feel like it could be so, like, it felt like we were so isolated, especially with virtual classes, and no one really knew what was happening. Um, so I wanted to kind of put my story out there, so to be there for people that had just lost their internships as well. I think that's a great um, kind of such um, kind of example of vulnerability, but also as well as um, uh, a willingness to support other people. And I think sometimes, um, you know, particularly in those moments, other people are concerned just as much as you are, but your willingness to kind of share your experience and be vulnerable about it, it, it helps people feel like they have permission to feel a certain way or um, or share their own concerns and things like that. So I think that's, I think that's really phenomenal. And I think the other thing, you know, obviously this was not an ideal situation, but when it, and particularly when it happens, but like to your point, um, you did find out fairly early and like in hindsight now, the, I mean, maybe you can see this particularly with relative to maybe some of your other classmates in some ways that may have been a blessing and that it did give you a little bit more runway to go and find another thing versus some of your other classmates who maybe had it, you know, a little bit later on and maybe had a little bit less. And so still not like option A, but with the benefit of hindsight, also kind of like, oh, this actually didn't, wasn't, it could have been worse, right? Definitely. Yeah. And I think I used humor a lot about this whole situation. Sure. So for instance, all of my newsletters from then on for General Management Club have included gifts at the top. Um, mostly of me searching for an internship, but different things like that. Um, and also pretty much every single call with a sponsor from General Management Club at Fuqua that I've had this whole summer have been like, I'm the president of General Management Club and I don't even have a general management internship, <laughs> but I really respect what you guys do. Um, so I think it's just using humor as well. Um, cause we're all in a terrible situation. Like no one's living their ideal life right now. <laughs> no. no, not at all. And, um, and I think the other element of this too, particularly with respect to your situation, um, and for everyone else for that matter, it's like, you literally had no control over this, right? It's like, you literally, you legitimately did not like you did nothing wrong. And, I think, again, like when adverse things happen, it's obviously, it's disappointing, it's sad, you have to grieve, but like you literally, like there's literally nothing that you could have done. And so I think, I think the other thing that kind of stands out to me is that there, it sounds like you were able to kind of compartmentalize the things that you have no control over, right? And then to think about the things that you do have some control over. Um, and then the other thing is just mindset, right? And so being able to use humor, um, you know, being able to um, be vulnerable, right? Those are choices you made in terms of how you showed up for yourself, but for others, uh, which I think it sounds like perhaps played a role in helping you kind of um, move forward in a positive way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I wouldn't have got 
the internship that I did get if it wasn't for for being vulnerable on LinkedIn, which was incredibly scary. I read the post over like six times and <laughs> I didn't want to post it, um, but I felt like it was important that I showed that I could be vulnerable and that other people are in this situation. Um, but yeah, definitely. And I, I do wonder just to go down this a little bit more. Um, sometimes things don't happen the way that we want them to. Um, but as a result of that, they do lead to unexpected or unintended, in some cases, consequences, or in some cases, opportunities. And, and I think, you know, to what you just said, like, I, and, you know, it was really hard for me to put that, put myself out there like that, or like, I'd spent a lot of time, like, reading over before I posted it. Um, you may have never been able to show that kind of vulnerability, had this situation not happened. I mean, I, I'd like to think you, at some point down the road, you, you would have, but this opportunity would have never come up if for you to show that and to, to push yourself in that kind of way in this moment, um, had you not experienced, uh, you know, losing, you know, your internship. Yeah, definitely. And to your point earlier, I mean, I take solace in the fact that I recruited travel and a little bit of tech. So I would have been in the situation in almost every interview that I had, um, sure. they rescinded their internships. Sure. Um, definitely was not expecting travel <laughs> to be the industry that went away. Um, yeah. When people talk about a recession, travel usually does pretty well. Right. Um, so unintentional, but um, yeah, I definitely took solace in that fact that I had no control over it. But I mean, no one wants to post on LinkedIn that they got laid off sure. or that yeah. their job was eliminated. Um, it's scary. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so fun fact for me, um, I actually got, and when I was in business school, I got my internship offer rescinded in the end of April and, um, for very different like set of reasons. Um, but it, I remember going down to the career center, you know, back when you could just walk into offices where you could be around people, uh, like six years ago. And, like went in there and was like, so yeah, uh, I just got a phone call and my offer got rescinded and I kind of walked them through the story and they were, they were just as shocked as I was. Um, but what I will say is this, um, and similar to maybe you, um, what didn't change about it was that all the things that I did in order to land the internship the first time I still needed to do to find another one. And I had already been successful in landing one the first time. And so I knew that if I just continue to use, you know, that same approach, I would, I would land one. And I was fortunate enough, um, similar to you to use my network to land one. And what I will say is this, um, that company where I interned at is the company that I work for today. Um, and had that offer not been rescinded, I probably, there's a good chance I could have been on a very different path than where I am. So, in, in the moment, sometimes things don't make sense or don't work out the way you want them to. It's only when you um, uh, take a step back or, or have the benefit of hindsight to kind of see just the, the way that things sometimes work. Um, and so for me, I'm fortunate that there was a little bit of a happy ending, but um, no, it's never a good thing when you go to the career center with something like that. And they say, I've never seen that happen before. <laughs> Um, it was not necessarily the most reassuring set of words to hear from the career management director um, at the time. So, okay. So I would say this is, I would wrap it up here, except that um, 
you didn't stop at an internship. Um, you kept yourself busy in a lot of other ways. So tell me a little bit about that. Um, you know, what, besides the internship, what else have you been up to? Yeah. So when I was re-recruiting again and applying to pretty much any MBA internship (laughs) positions that were still open, um, I got some feedback on my resume from some very helpful hiring managers that told me that, um, even though I was very successful recruiting tech early in October, I was very unsuccessful in May um, because I didn't have any like very tech focused words on my resume. Um, I didn't have like product experience, things like that. Um, And I was like, Oh no, (laughs) I was like, travels not doesn't exist next year. Um, So I felt the need that I really needed to use the summer to pivot to possibly recruit tech um, in my second year, um, considering tech is still hiring um, and didn't suffer um, pretty much deleting old flights in the US. Um, So yeah, so I decided that I really wanted to learn everything I could about technology. So that was one kind of pillar of the summer. I did this thing called 100 Days of Tech. Oh, sorry, 100 Days to Speak Tech because uh, I didn't speak tech, like tech is a foreign language, but it kind of is. Um, so I basically took a couple online classes and chronicled my journey on Twitter, where no one retweeted me once, but that's okay. <laughs> um, it's still there. And I created a portfolio website, a mobile app, um, as kind of part of that, just to really understand things like system architecture, and um, product marketing management and product management and all these words that were really thrown around a lot in October, but that I never actually like double tapped and learned about here at the time. I think that's, I think that's awesome and, ama- and, and amazing and such a great, uh, a great way to, um, to learn is just by throwing yourself in and, and just doing. And so I'm curious, um, what was it like you know, being exposed to like all these new concepts and ideas and terminologies while also just throw digging your hands in and just getting dirty with it at the same time. Like how, how, how was that for you? Yeah. I mean, there's no better way to learn Amazon web services if, except having to set up a hosting site and then uh, set an email server through them. So I think it was just really helpful to learn as I was doing because I think tech can be so overwhelming in such a large industry and with so many different facets, it's hard to kind of navigate through that um, because there's a billion courses. You could take a course on literally anything. So by by learning in the context of products that I was building, it just enabled me to really narrow down what I needed to know For instance, I didn't know that I needed to learn about cloud infrastructure until I was building a cloud hosted website, Um, which was great because then I kind of knew this in the context that that would be needed is just taking a class on Udemy. I feel like we're such a culture of taking classes and then never using any of that, those contexts again, Um, because Udemy, it's like $10. So you're like, oh, I'll just take this class. Um, but so I feel like that really helped me kind of segment my learning a little bit more. The other thing that I really liked about this, and I'm just going to quote it from the, your LinkedIn post because it's just easier to do this. 
Um, you, you wrote, um, I took four online classes, brushed up on my coding and started Y Combinator startup school. Strangely enough, I didn't do these things to get a job. We spend so much time in business school thinking about recruitment outcomes. We rarely get time to feed our curiosity. I'm so thankful I finally got the chance to see what I can accomplish. It's the gift I never saw coming out of this pandemic. I loved what you, uh, what you wrote there. And it's part of the reason why I reached out to you in the first place. And so talk me through that because I, I totally agree. Um, I think that recruitment outcomes are obviously important, but there's a whole, whole slew of other opportunities for you in business school to pursue um, outside of those. And so um, can you talk more about that? And how has that been enlightening for you, particularly to, you know, to feed that curiosity? Definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that my mobile app that I created to create bar crawls in Los Angeles is going to be, <laughs> is going to get me a job. Um, it's more something that I wanted to kind of do for myself. I feel like there's, I feel like your whole life, people are like, I'm working on this app, I'm working on this app. And you're like, I could never do that. And then you're like, oh, wait, I could do it. So I just kind of wanted to prove that to myself. And I think, yeah, I think we, somewhere around our professional life, we lose our curiosity. And I think that's especially true in business school. Like I remember when I was in college, I was taking all of these different classes on political science and um, history and different things like that. And then when I graduated, I was working on different startups in addition just to my full-time job. And I just feel like in business school, everything was so recruitment oriented. Like even our conversations in the entrepreneurship club are like, how can we use this entrepreneurial venture to get a job? Um, and I think this summer, because I don't even know what jobs are going to look like next year, like tech, I mean, that's just an industry. <laughs> um, I just, we don't even know what jobs are going to look like for MBAs next year. I just felt like I had the freedom to like, work on a book that I've always wanted to write and then make this app that no one's ever going to download, but at least I have it on my phone. Um, and then build a portfolio website where I can actually show more than just like a resume that's one page and black and white, which is my least favorite thing uh, about business school. So just kind of working on these different things. Yeah. I love that approach. And there's a couple of things that stuck out to me. So, so first off, even before jumping into the learning, I think one of the things that you, I really liked that you did was you paid attention to the feedback that you got, right? So you got the feedback that, Oh, like you did really well and you're really smart, but like, here are some things that are potentially missing on your resume. And so you took that feedback and thought, well, how might I change this? And then you sprang into action. So number one, you're sensing, and then you're responding to that, to that, right? Um, and then number two, um, it's never been easier to learn something, right? To your point, for 10 bucks on Udemy, you can get a course on literally anything that you wish, right? And even for cheaper, you can find anything by, you know, for better or for worse, typing in it straight into Google. Um, but even within the context of an MBA environment, um, even at school, even if you're not going to type it into Google, there are so many resources at your disposal when you're, when, when you're in an MBA program to explore and feed that curiosity if you can slightly suspend those recruitment outcomes for a second, or once you've taken care of them, refocus back on that. And I mean, I think for me, one of the things that I love about higher education is the ability to explore um, some of the questions that you have, right, about whatever, and to have a plethora of people, of 
programs and resources at your disposal to um, explore, uh, to, to, to aid that. And then in some cases too, um, really other smart people to, to collaborate with or, or do it with. And so I loved that um, you were able to kind of unearth a lot of that. And it sounds like you've gotten, um, you've gotten a lot out of it. So um, those are a bunch of things that just kind of stood out to me. Um, I'm curious, as you think about moving into your second year and kind of how you're going to approach this, and obviously you do very much care about career outcomes because um, it will be important, but... Um, That'd be nice to have yeah, a job. For sure. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Uh, your career center will thank you as well. Um, I'm curious though, how, um, you know, kind of this curiosity, um, how do you see it kind of manifesting itself in terms of how you're going to approach the second year of business school? I think what the curiosity has really taught me is that, I mean, I think it's taught me that I don't need, I don't need to get a job in October of next year. And I think there's a lot of freedom that comes with that. Yeah. Because a lot of times uh, for the people that are not familiar, MBAs tend to do some early recruiting for their second year in October. And then um, there's what we call just-in-time recruiting, which happens in May. Those tend to be like more broader sense of companies, like you're just applying to job boards, not necessarily for MBA-specific roles. And I think, I honestly think now I don't even want an MBA-specific role. I think I can just be a person. (laughs) Um, Like I don't feel as defined with my MBA because I, I feel that I could learn what is necessary to be a full-time hire at a company um, and leverage like the skills that I've gained through coding and my marketing skill set. So I think it's just like more freedom to really, as in addition to pursuing my curiosity in the school environment, which is virtual um, pretty much. I don't know. They keep saying hybrid, but it's going to be virtual. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, But yeah, I think it just gives me, more of a sense of freedom to explore things. I just see that continuing. Uh, I don't know. I think I said in my LinkedIn post as well, it was a Hamilton reference, but I said, I don't ever want to be at a position in my career again, where you just like wait for it. Like, I don't want to be holding on to a start date. That's something that hasn't really been covered by the media that much, but most MBA roles that graduated this year they that. are being pushed till January of 2021 mm-hmm. Yep. for their start date. Yeah. I don't want to be faced with another six months. <laughs> yeah. Although maybe I'll write another book and then have go. a mobile app, but there you go. I, I don't want to wait for my career. I want to be the one in the driving seat. And I think that's what this has really taught me. Yeah. I love that. And one of the pieces of advice that I got early in my career um, was, you know, at the end of the day, like you, you own your career and you have to be the one that drives it. And, and that was within the context of working in a large organization that was incredibly matrix and it was easy to get lost in the shuffle. And so if you, if you want to do something like you really, you do have to rely on others, but like you have to be the one that kind of drives that. And I think to your point, there will be things that are out of your control that dictate like a start date. And that is what it is. But if you want something like you, it's on you to, to take advantage and, and drive, you know, toward that and, and to not um, twiddle your thumbs for six months or whatever it is, but to, to own that time to achieve what you want to achieve. And, and so that when you do start, um, 
you'll feel like you didn't um, let an opportunity go to waste or that you didn't just sit around for six months. Um, so, yeah. And we also, we kind of think, we think of companies as almost like personal entities, especially in the MBA yeah. programs mm-hmm. where like, which is kind of funny because they're just a collection of people um, right. and they, they have a profit loss statement and yeah. we love those as MBAs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we think of them as people. We think that they'll be offended. Like if we, if they, um, if they extend their offer six months and push our start date back eight months, they're like, with, they think that they'll be offended. The company will be offended if you're like, actually, I'm going to go get another job. Mm-hmm. And th- they won't be offended. <laughs> no. They just broke their covenant with you. Yeah. So I think that that's something I think career centers really need to focus on messaging because you have to do what's best for your career. And yes. if what's best for your career isn't waiting for six months for a start date, then you need to take the bull by the horns and find something that's going to work better for your life and your career. And I think it's just all about having that empowerment. Like, we're MBAs and we're in an economic recession and it's terrifyingly scary to get rid of what we deem as a sure thing, but who knows what's going to happen in six months. Mm-hmm. We've already seen what's happened in the last six months. Totally. So I think it's, it's all about just being empowered in your career. Um, yeah, I guess that's what I've learned. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm curious. So the, a bunch of incoming MBAs are about to start um, or have started and for the sake of right now, it is mostly a virtual experience. And so in some senses, the benefit that they have is they don't know anything different. But, you know, with that, they're still starting business school. And anyone who has ever started business school can understand and appreciate how overwhelming it can be, at least in the beginning. So I'm just, uh, would love to know what kind of um, maybe advice do you have to help incoming students, you know, think about given that this is new, given that it's challenging, and oh, by the way, given that it's, it's virtual, um, how can they go about um, making the most of, of this experience? Every single quarter, even before this curiosity thing, um, I wrote down my priorities for the quarter. Uh, so Duke is on a quarter system, so we have four of those a year. So every quarter I would sit down and I would prioritize things. For instance, I think the first quarter I was taking a ton of math classes as part of the core. So academics were my number one priority. I was like, I'm going to pass these classes uh, being a digital marketing um, person. So felt like I needed to focus on that. Friends were like number two. I was like, got to get some friends. Um, And then three was like pursuing other things like entrepreneurship um, and like tapping into that community at Duke. So every single quarter I sat down and I made this list of priorities. And I think that works really well in the virtual environment too, because you can only attend so many Zoom meetings a day without feeling overwhelmed and burnt out on Zoom. So I would definitely recommend doing that even in the virtual sense and deciding where your priorities are going to lie. If that's student leadership, if that's career, you want to focus on finding different careers. But I think there is some flexibility this year because I do think that recruiting is going to be later. Um, At least that's what the sense that we're getting from companies. So I do think recruiting is going to be a little bit later. So there might be more opportunities to 
maybe explore different career paths that there haven't really been in the past. Like I mentioned that I recruited in June before I even started my MBA. And, that, and this year that just isn't the case. So I'm hopeful that our students can try a bunch of different things before they decide on consulting and investment banking. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we don't send that many people to investment banking at FEQA, but um, I'm hopeful that they can come to general management club, um, but also to the mini clubs and really think about what they want to do. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's, that, that is great advice. And I realize that setting priorities doesn't seem like the most earth shattering advice ever, but it's a lot harder to do than it, than it seems as someone who has lived through it. And as someone who has talked to many other MBA students who, uh, when I ask them, you know, is there anything you wish you would have done? And I will absolutely say that is one of the most common things that people say they wish they would have done. And so even if it seems simple, um, understand that it's not. So I think it's absolutely worthwhile. Um, Austin, um, I think that even though curiosity in this context is something that you did explore, um, it's something that you've always kind of done. And I know this because you have a number of other things that are going on uh, uh, that you're a part of. Um, outside of just, you know, business school, and you mentioned you're writing a book, but also uh, you have your own podcast as well. So would you mind maybe sharing a little bit about some of the other things that you are able to do to kind of feed that curiosity and some of those interests that you have? Yeah, definitely. Um, funny enough, most of my interests go back to history. Um, so they can seem like a lot of disjointed things, but they're actually all history in one way or another. Um, so my podcast is called Fast Pass to the Past, the theme park history podcast. Um, and it's a podcast about theme park history. Shocker. Themeparkhistory.com. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's basically a podcast that explores the business case studies of theme parks, as I like to call it, and like the social, economic, and political ramifications of theme parks. However, uh, kids listen to it and they just think it's fun to learn about Disneyland history. So that's fine too. Um, but when I went to business school, I realized that it was old case studies. Um, so it's pretty fun. So I do that. I'm also writing a book about Disneyland history, um, through a program called the Creator Institute. So I'm part of a cohort of, I think like 300 students that are writing books this summer. That's fantastic. Uh, please check out. Uh, so, so if people want to check out your podcast, where can they, where can they find it or where can they go? Yeah. So um, we're in all the major podcast engines, Apple podcasts, Spotify. Um, it's just fast pass to the past, the theme park history podcast, and then theme park history podcast.com is our website. Great. Well, Austin, thank you so much for joining. Thank you for sharing your story and please check out um, Austin's podcast. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.